My guest today on Talk Design Podcast is Jeffrey Dungan from Alabama. He's an architect and an author. Jeff has a true gift of using his intuition, and we talk about this in the podcast. It's, it's quite incredible, his uh, journey and what he does with people. He also creates some of the most beautiful, traditional styled homes that you will ever see. They're so thoughtful. They just resonate with the land and they certainly resonate with their owners. Jeff, I'd like to welcome you to Talk Design Podcast. It is a great honor to have you on here. Um, great to be here. Tell me a little about uh, your just just your practice. And uh, we're going to post, by the way, at the end of the podcast, all the key points about how to get in touch with you, your socials, all that kind of stuff. That'll be on the website. But just tell me a little bit about your practice. So we do mostly um, private custom homes um, for um, our clients uh, across the country and sometimes outside the country a little bit. Um, and we have a staff of about 15 people, uh, mostly architects. We also do interiors um, on the homes that we do and um, sometimes just for other people. So we have a few interior designers as well. Um, and it's kind of like a little fraternity. It's not very corporate <laughs> here. And um, it's very, um, I think, uh, pretty laid back and, um, and just a great group of people. And um, we get to make really amazing places with our clients who, you know, uh, we get to work with, you know. So you're down in here. Alabama. Yeah. God, I haven't exactly. been there in a long time. Have you been to Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. Really? I, I used to live in, um, I used to live in Dallas, Texas. Uh, okay. when, years and years ago. <laughs> Texas. Um, Texas. Yeah. I, that's, I, uh, that's the Republic of Texas. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> nobody's prouder. I always say this. Nobody's prouder of where they're from than a Texan. They're, they so can't true. wait to tell you about it. You it's know? so true, isn't it? I swear, I, I believe that every Texan secretly has a map of Texas tattooed somewhere on their body. It's not wrong. <laughs> and come and get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come and take it. Come and take it. Exactly. Uh, um, other and and Austin and I, I've been to Austin for the past five years in a row um, because they have an amazing homes tour there and so I've got to know the guys at the AIA Austin so well that I'm on first name basis when I walk through the door. Um, <laughs> what a great, what a cool little town that is. It's um, a great town. I mean, the rest of Texas is yeah, sketchy, but it's a great town. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, quotes is um, they they they're they're saying there is to keep Austin weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that, and they have um, great music scene there. And isn't it fantastic? I see your guitar in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm just a hacker. Yeah, but um, I, I love to play, and um, I try to play a little bit every day. Which is perfect, man. I mean, like, why wouldn't you? It's to, yeah. It's the it's the cheapest form of um and and least dangerous form of um therapy that I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
cheaper than alcohol. <laughs> it's cheaper and less dangerous than alcohol. Yep. Beautiful. I just feel better. I feel better uh, already. Man, I can't play. I can't play an instrument. I'm not yeah. that. I'm not that musical. I love music. That's one of the attractions of Austin. Me and too. I, I had a, a buddy of mine who's a music. He's a lawyer, but um, he's a musician as well. And he has recorded me a special bluesy little piece for the start of the podcast and the end of the podcast. Oh, that's great. If, if I want to cut that piece that you just did and we'll put it in the podcast as well. Perfect. That'd be great. That could yeah. be your little intro. That and would I, be I it. Love, I love to, um, you know, the, um, the Blackbird song, the Beatles song, yep. Blackbird. I can play that too. And I, that is so fun to play and it just sounds so good and makes you happy. Uh, so if I you love need more, it. Yeah, um, absolutely. I've got a bunch of electric guitars down in the basement and um, it's just so fun to crank those suckers up with a little bourbon. <laughs> and, um, and they're, they're right here at the office. So sometimes um, we'll go out for dinner and then come back and um, if I don't have anything else really pressing. I'll sometimes go down there and just, I got these, this big old tube amp and it's like, yep. the more you play it, the hotter it gets and the better it sounds. And it just, uh, it's, it's sometimes I just get lost in it. It's great. It's, it's, um, that's what music does for me. I, and that's listening to it. I just, uh, lose myself in it. I just go, yeah. it's total immersement for me, you know, like I, I, I float away on music. It's, I, I love nothing better than getting home on, like on a Friday night, I cook pizzas for the family. And um, I don't like yeah. them. I don't like them in the kitchen when I'm doing it. I get home, I, I start laying out the stuff on the bench. I actually pour myself usually a whiskey. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll have a whiskey and I uh, turn up some music in the kitchen. They're all out of the room. And I just mm -hmm. get in there and make them pizzas, listen to music, sip them whiskey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> to me, yeah, that's a joy of life. It is. It's, it's so healthy. And um, the thing that I always remember about music is, it is the one thing that um, goes straight past your cognizant mind and straight into your heart. It, it bypasses, you know, if, like if we're talking or whatever, and I say words, even if they're good words or whatever, you have to think about the words and you have to get the image in your head and then maybe something resonates. Music skips all that bullshit, goes straight into your heart. Just drops and that's right what in. I love about, love about music skips the oh, whole process. It's so true. It's so true. Cause it's a, such an emotional feeling mm -hmm. that it drops. People in. always say, well, what kind of music do you like? And I'm like, well, I mean, I like a lot of different kinds of music and music is absolutely dependent on my mood Yeah, and, yeah. and, and how I feel or how I want to feel. That's the kind of music that I'll play. Um, but and, I could um, listen to what you just played if I'm just kicking back and doing mm -hmm. something, but, um, 
if yeah. I'm uh, if if I want to be revved up, I've got like you know Stevie Ray Vaughan just hammering, you know, like that's exactly yeah, you that's know. it's got all that energy that just pumps out at you, where the other just lulls you in and it seduces you, just yeah. brings you in and it just it's, it's comfortable, true. yeah. And there's times if I'm thinking, if I need to really think, um, especially if I'm let's say um, maybe having to work real hard on a project yeah. or um, if I, especially if I'm having to write something, I can't listen to music with words in it. So I listen to classical music. I listen to mm-hmm. jazz, old mm-hmm. classical jazz and stuff like that because the words distract me too yep. much. I start thinking about what they're saying and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I can totally so, relate. Yeah. It, it totally really depends relate. on, on kind of what, what you're doing in, and, and I, I don't even want to talk about architecture, really. We don't have to, but it's... it's we'll do a little it's, bit. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, in some ways, I, I, had, I, had it, I had it sorted out in my head how it's like architecture, but it's just so much better. <laughs> Music is so much better. You know, the thing, the thing is, is that, um, and actually, this is a podcast that I want to do, is... So... so with it, it architecture is a structure and it's an emotion and it's a, um, a process. Mm. If you're creating a song, it's a structure and then it's driven by emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, and then it has like, it, it, it fits into a process. So design is design, whatever we design, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's the same kind of steps. What happens when you get to, um, I suppose being the artist, yeah. Then you can't be within yourself. You must be yeah. with. You must be beyond yourself. You've got to. Mm-hmm. You've got to be in the moment. So you've got to synchronize the universe with you, and that's where real genius happens. You know, it's a. If you were looking in your brain waves, that would be alpha thinking, and it's mm-hmm. it's where it's subconscious. It's emotionally driven. And, you know, when you're designing, you go into the space where time kind of stands still. Things flow. It, it, it all starts to fall together. Um, and then you sort of come out to consciousness and review it. And then you go back in. And it just... It's, it's, music to me is like that. Like, it, you create something. The thing that I love about live music is you can't fake it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't get to redraw it. You mm-hmm. don't get to work it out again. You do it. You perform. You're on. Boom. It happens. It happens. And you've got to go to that space to make it happen. I have the highest respect for musicians for that reason. Um, it's, uh, you know, you get in the studio, you can play around all you like, but when you actually just got to stand there and bear your soul, <laughs> <laughs> you know, be stripped naked and, and go and do the job. That's the magic. That's where it's, that's, I think that's why live music is such a, um, a feeder for your heart. You know, like you said, it just cuts straight through because there's no opportunity for it not to. You're, you're there with it. I remembered what, um, about the analogy I guess about um, 
music to architecture and there's there's a few you know i, I forget who it was i think i think it was goth who said um architecture is nothing but frozen music um, <laughs> I, I love that idea um i think most architecture is frozen shit and not, <laughs> exactly. not music. but um sadly but um but but just like the conversation that we we're having about music and that music is very dependent on um the mood that you're in or the mood that you want to be in or, or you know whatever that is and i think in architecture at least what i'm striving for is creating places that allow and support all of the complexities or so or many of the complexities of our nature because we are very complicated and yeah. complex beings and so you know we there's times where just like you said sometimes i want to feel like stevie ray vaughn sometimes i want a sonnet sometimes i want you know these all these things and so you know how can architecture and how can a house let's say support um the, God, the I love that. complexities that we have because and, and that's one of my you know just as an example i'm not trying to i don't have a agenda here but just as an example of ways that architecture, I feel like fails us um, in, in some ways is um, this whole kind of movement that has happened. And I think now has, has thankfully passed is um, this, this open floor plan thing where basically that pendulum swung so far that we just had warehouses. We're just living in a big ass open space and there's the kitchen over there and there's the living room and I sleep over there and it's just all one big room. And, that's such a fucking boring thing, you know, because it's just this one big, there's big no thing. transition. Like, no. And, and what if, what, like my little studio here is like 10 by 10. It's this little 10 by 10 glass box with lots of natural light. And I need that to when I'm, this is where the magic happens, but that's great. But then what about, you know, when I want to, I need a big open space to entertain my friends and, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. but then when I cook, I don't want the kitchen in this big open space. I want to feel cozy while I'm being creative in the A whole kitchen. lot more intimate. Yeah. Exactly. So I want the kitchen to be close to the big open space, but not in the big open space. Otherwise, uh -huh. I feel like I'm cooking inside the Galleria, the food court, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so it's like we're what what I think architecture and design miss sometimes is that that there's not ever just one size fits all and one answer for all of the range of emotions and the complexities of just who we all are as, as human beings. And I'm not even talking about that you're a different human being than me. Yeah. I'm just talking about just the basic range of whatever it is would be, you know, seven or eight different kind of emotional states or whatever that we may be in, 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 in one day. And, um, and, and so also in architecture, music is definitely provides that. I think architecture could do a better job. I, 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 so, I so am on your page there. I, I go, uh, music supports emotions and creates emotions. Ideally, when you shift a, uh, a house to being a home, it mm -hmm. does exactly the same thing. It allows okay. you to transition from whatever was previous into the space of safety and nurturing and well-being. And I say to people all the time, Go really consider whether you want your laundry. You know, these homogenized homes, homogen—they're yeah. just—they're—they're they're, they're all the same. They're, 
every room's the same color scheme. It's got the same tiling. It's got the same, you know, wood on the wall. It's got the the same light fittings. You know, everything's just one genre. And I go, consider whether you want your laundry and your bedroom to feel like the same zones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and you say, yes, I want it just to feel exactly the same. Cool. You know? Then I can't work with you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, you're, it, you're, it, not a human being, you're actually a robot. Somebody has fooled you into thinking you're a human being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Let the aliens pick you back up. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I go, you know, when we're looking at a home, we need to evoke different emotions from space to space. So there's the emotion that you get when you generally hear you park at the front of, in the front of your home, the garage is street side. We don't have alleys. So the garage is street side. You walk through that door more often than not into a service area, like a laundry kind of area. And I go, but we build, you know, the, the fancy entrance for your friends and the people who knock on your door. So how do we, yeah, how do we take you from the garage to that fancy entrance? And then that's your transition point to the home. Then we get you from there to, if you're a female, you have a whole lot of different transitions than you will if you're a male. A, a, a female will have three things in her hands, if not more. A male will have nothing, you know. Right. Put his keys in his pocket. His keys. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They can go in his pocket just like that. And he's walking in. A man will also usually look for space to switch off and on, you know, re, re, recalibrate where a woman often will walk in and just be into something. She'll be into the kitchen, putting stuff down. What's happening next? My next job is it's like men often will go, I just need to get in there, take my shoes off or whatever it is come back out and okay, now I'm done. And so it's a different journey for each. And I go, so what's that journey? And then what's the emotional change that it needs to get to? Um, like if I come home and I've, I've got an office and then if I, if I come to home and if I go to the office at home, I don't feel like I'm finishing work. Mm -hmm. So I'm not ready for the kids and for my wife. I'm like, I'm just keeping going. Whereas yeah. if I come home and I go and chuck my bag in the bedroom and I don't even usually change that off and I'll probably take a jacket off or something like that. Then, then I wander back out and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Here, here, I'm home. Um, what can I do now? What, what, what needs doing? What can I do? How, how is everybody? You know, all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And tra that transition, but it's that feeling of, um, leaving one space and getting to another. And this is a space that this is when it becomes a home. It's personal. It's not just a space. It's a personal space. It's, um, I have a similar conversation in that. Um, and this is a, one of these ideas that I'm sort of developing, um, in, in my work is that, that you touched on earlier is the, the transition of, you know, we all generally arrive anywhere by car, in our in our culture today and so then what's the journey like um and how does design begin to handle that i mean i love to stretch that out i'm getting off the subject where, where oh, it's going. good it's I good love to stretch that out and start that while you're still in the car 
as yeah. soon as you come to the property and I can start to engage you with design, you know, if it's a, a lot of times I do projects on acreage uh-huh. and so just the driveway is a whole design process right there. You know, like how does the driveway take you to the house? How does the driveway prepare you for the house? How do I give you glimpses of what I want you to see and, and not and hide you from other things that I don't, want you to see sure even while you're, while you're in the car how do i show it to you and then make you turn over here and go over there and then get all the while you're getting closer to it you don't realize and then all of a sudden boom you're there it there. is you know and 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 so how do you sort of create that um it's it's really flirtation i mean it's nothing more than than that um in in so many ways but how do you do that in an elegant way how can i help you to already begin to enjoy this house or to start to have a relationship with this house from your car before you did. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And how do I also, if my um, guests are coming, A, where are they going to arrive? Where are they going to park? And how am I going to set up their journey? And yeah. if they're not guests and they're arriving, they're uninvited, how am I going to set up their journey? Yeah. But also... I feel like we focus so much on the guests, which is of course very important because we want our house to be beautiful. It's a big ego massage as well. Yeah. It's a little bit of an ego thing, you know, and it's like, and then you think of all the people that are ever going to come to this house, how many are guests and how many people actually live in the house? And the overwhelming answer is like 90% of the time, the cars that come there are the people that live there. So great. We've designed this whole enfilade of experiences for the 10% of the people that come there for the party and never come back. And then for the other people, it's like, Oh, you go in the garage, you know, it's dark, it's dingy. You get out, you're in a laundry room, basically it's dark, it's dingy. It smells like underwear and kids socks. And then finally we dump you out in the kitchen. You know, it's like, wow, like that didn't what feel good. What the hell happened there? <laughs> and that's my experience. You, you know, I have this incredible house. And, and the guests come and they're all oohs and ahs, but like I have to experience like literally walking through the sewer to yep. get in um, home, like it's just architecturally speaking. And I just think that's really backwards. I think that's so, 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 so true. So true. <laughs> it's like 90% of the houses in it's how it's our done. Country, that's exactly how it works. And even in some that were designed by architects that yep. should be thinking a little bit more thoughtfully, I think about how giving people a, a very different experience um, as they enter their home every day of their life, they're going to do that, that yeah. process. How do you make that elegant? How do you make that enlightening? How do you make them feel better? How, how do you make them feel excited without having to walk them through the front, the, the ceremonial front door? Yeah. How do you give them their own intimate journey? Yeah. And how, how do you make it beautiful, frankly? Yeah, you know? yeah. Because I, I always have this thing when I'm talking to people, especially if they're looking at doing something like a project where it's, um, you know, they might be planning to be there for five to seven years or something like that. And I go, okay, cool. Well, remember that the person who you're going to sell this to is more important than you right now because they're going to write the check. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you don't make what they're going to get special then you're never going to sell it. <laughs> so, right. so we've got to focus on that first. And I try not to do 
many homes that do this. Like I, I prefer a home that people are investing in and spending a lot of, a long time in. Um, but it's that yeah, same. I, I won't, um, I, I do forever homes. I mean, yeah. I do houses for people that the last time they leave that house, it'll be feet first. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the most part, that's, that's about the only way at this point in my career that I want to design for anybody. I don't want to design for some subjective other person that I've never met that I want to hopefully make it vanilla enough that somebody will like it. Now, scroll that. I want to let, let's talk about you and let's talk about your goals and how you live your life and let's make a place for you. And if nobody else wants it, that's not anybody else's problem because you're going to be dead. Yeah, exactly. It, it'll be the kids that are fighting over what happens. I was, um, I have a, a wonderful client that I had a great relationship with a few years ago. And, um, he asked me, um, and he's on up in, in his years a little bit. And, uh, he, he asked me what kind of roof I wanted to put on the house. And, and I said, well, I mean, because of all these reasons, and he's like a Western horse riding saddle guy, like leather and, you know, just a, just a salt of the earth guy. And I said, you, you really need a cedar shake, you know, roof on your house. It's earthy. It's beautiful. It's, it's split. Um, there's a texture to it. I mean, it, it just feels, it just feels like you. And, you know, we got all this stone and this other stuff. And, and he said, man, he said, that sounds really good. He said, but, but uh, how long will that roof last? And I said, oh. you know, about 25 years. And he said, well, he said, yeah, but then it'll have to be replaced. And I said, well, you won't replace it. <laughs> and, and, and he just looked at his wife and he's like, did he just say that to me? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I hope you live forever, but you know, I don't think you got 25. I mean, if you have to replace that roof, God bless you. God you know, bless you. It'd be the best thing you ever do. You have to replace that roof in 25 years if you're still on this earth, you know, but I mean, that's the way when, when you design for people like that, you can just do away with a whole lot of second guessing that I don't think makes really wonderful places. I agree. I, I, I yeah, that the, the fact that you design forever homes is, um, well, rewind a little. When I was looking at your work, I go, this is, this is a funny way of putting it. This is like houses that grown ups live in. This is like what? growing ups. People who have grown up. They live in homes <laughs> like you design. Got it. Okay. They are beautiful. They are um, traditional. They are detailed. They're made out of materials that last. They are you know, that's certainly not for everyone. Not everyone can afford one, right. that, but they are something that it wouldn't matter whether you're um, young and rich or old and rich or whatever. There's an appreciation for everything that's in it. It's, it's like when you have a um, rock star who lives in an English country mansion. I love that. Yeah. Those, those are great. Yeah. That's, that's the key, isn't it? It's like, that's what it's like. You could walk in like that guy, he walks into that house and he's probably boots on the yeah. whole bit. 
he treats it like he deserves it and like it's he owns it he owns the space he's not precious in the space if he wants to put his feet on the sofa he puts his feet on the sofa because um it's his home he's arrived and if he's a badass like this then that's what he does just and and it could be that you get somebody with the same um values who is in their 30s and they've got the rooms filled with guitars and um they're you know that they're, they're, they're loving life all those people have found life that mm -hmm. that buy a home well get you to design a home i imagine there might be a few pretenders but most of them wouldn't be i think you'd filter them out just talking to you so far yeah they may not cut through <laughs> whenever anybody um tells me that they're they're interviewing architects. I always say, well, that's good. I'm interviewing potential clients. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a two way street. You know, I just want to make sure they understand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a match. Eh? It's, it's, um... yeah, it, it has to be to do it at a certain level. You know, you have to have this, thing you know with the client where they understand you and they appreciate it and you also respect and appreciate them a hundred percent a hundred percent that's really what i'm looking for is um not not projects but people yeah it's got to be the right people for God, me that's a great that's a that's a beautiful line i'm not and looking think, for projects i'm looking for people because when you find the person the projects just they happen they happen and I'm telling you right now, that's, that's a huge part of um, making successful, beautiful places is you, you have to be intuitive and you have to be able to say, Hey, I know I'm wired like this. So I'm looking for people that not are wired just like me, but that I can communicate with and that yeah. they, they get it. And they're, um, we can, we can develop a, a relationship here. And, um, you know, so uh, Lutchens uh, said, um, without great patrons, there is no great architecture. And, uh -huh. um, and he was a fabulous architect, obviously, and one of the most talented of the um, last century or two, probably. But um, that, that somebody of that um, of capability would, would also realize that he needed that client. He needed that, that trust and that bond that you can form in certain occasions to, to do anything uh, really great. Yeah, to, to yeah, the, the key there, to do something really great, you, yeah. you have to be able to step into being the artist and not just the, not just the person who's walking down a process, you step into being the artist and then the genius happens. Um, not to say there isn't genius in every project. It's just that yeah. that's where that synergy just blows your mind. Well, the, it just, I think, I think every architect is part scientist and part artist. And, and, you know, you think about the sciences and you think about the arts and um, architecture is this strange confluence of those two things. And it makes some really strange people. Frankly, because uh, we're we're weird people, because we have to be able to speak to that technical, highly detailed side, but then we also have to have this sort of spiritual, very you know earthy, organic 
you know, side. And those two things are um, mentally, uh, apparently, uh, two very hemi- different. Probably left and right hemisphere of your brain. I, I, I really think so. And I've never met, I, don't, I, I really, in, in my theory of architects and, and how we work, I think we're all one on one side of that line or the other. We either tend to be, our talents and abilities are more on the technical scientific side or they're more on the art, artistic, you know, creative maybe. But that's now, why we need commercial architects so that they can live on the other side. <laughs> yeah. So it's, well, that's you know, somewhere we can park them <laughs> while we do I, the creative stuff. I think it's also why um, it's such a team sport. Yeah. You know, because we need each other because yeah. nobody sees the whole picture very totally clearly. And um, in my true state, I'm much more of the artist um, type. And so, but I need to move into the technical side. So um, I can go there, but that's not my true skill set. So I work really closely and really well with people who do have that technical side. So so speaking to that, then with your team um, that you work with, I always think, you know, in architectural firms, there's usually, you know, maybe one design architect and there might be three project architects for the one design architect because um, the, the design architect creates the, the first part of the genius and then they create the second part of the genius where it, it gets detailed and nailed down and all the rest. How do you do that? What, what happens in your team? Um, I'll generally do the... Um well, not generally, I, I, I always do the initial schematic um, yeah. part of the, of the process, and, um, which is really just um, the conceptual drawings, and, mm-hmm. and um, those turn into a, a floor plan and, um, and some exterior um, drawings. And I do all those um, by hand um, on that little, that little table right there. Oh, yeah, I love it, man. Love it. And, and so um, that little process usually takes about um, a month and a half or uh-huh. maybe to get all the way from just the really beginning napkin sketches to um, scale, you know, floor plans and some exterior elevations. And then, um, and then generally um, I'll go have it priced because, um, you know, all our clients are, have been really successful and very blessed and, are very fortunate um and so they um you know have the you know the capital means. yeah the, 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 i call it the correct change uh, <laughs> i like that the correct uh, change uh, you know do you know what it it takes to do what we do but um but then they all have a budget and they all have kind of this number in their mind that they feel good about spending and it has some elasticity, but not infinite uh, amount of elasticity. So I'll get it priced based on the schematics, just a preliminary price. Um, and then, and once we check that box and we're good with the price, um, then we'll move into um, drawing it in the construction. Yeah. We do put it in, in CAD. And um, at that point, we really, we, we do two things. We, 
there's sort of two tracks and one is the interiors. Mm-hmm. And so now we're, we've kind of got the exteriors defined and the floor plans defined, but now we're going to go inside that thing and really start detailing out and start. It's like the process kind of starts all over again. You go inside and you're like, what does this room look like? And so I start drawing these little Polaroid sketches of the um, interiors. So, and, and so we start sort of grappling with all that and, um, and with our interior designers, we have three interior designers here as well as maybe say 10 architects. Um, and then, um, so that whole process kind of moves down the road for another few months. And then at the end of that, of course, we've got all the construction drawings and stuff. So when you, when you're in your design process, do you, you, you know, you're, you're unloading or, or downloading the people. So the first part is, is the connection. Mm. And when you get that, as that connection builds and grows and you find their nuances and you find what make, brings them joyful pieces and, you know, you find what pisses them off as well. You, you start <laughs> to, you start to understand their, their, them as a human, you know, and you get this, I always say it's just the most amazing, beautiful connection when it really flows. And then, do you start with, because, because you live in the house, do you start with the interior in mind or do you start with the exterior in mind? When I'm, when I'm really designing at just the very beginning, you mean? Yeah, like right at that first, like as all the pictures start. Well, go back one more step. I ring you up. I say, Jeff, could, could you come and have a look at a property I'm, I'm, I'm looking at? I, I bought this property and I, I need a house on it. And um, <laughs> I've seen your work before. Um, I'd like to book you in and get you to come out and, and, and spend some time with me and discuss what my opportunities are here. And you do some sort of breakdown about what's your budget and you know check, check that they're real. Um, and then you go, what happens when you arrive on this piece of land what 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 happens for you so that's the spring that um that sort of unleashes the trap and um it's that's the moment when um the shit happens <laughs> um I, every piece of dirt in the world is different there's no piece of dirt that's like another piece of dirt um, I love and, it. Clients, at some point, we're all going to be standing on on the piece of dirt that you have chosen. And at that point, I'm going to already have asked you all the questions. I'm going to already know how you want to live and your lifestyle and all the rooms and space. We're going to have documented that. I'll have it all on a piece of paper. And I got it in the back of my mind. And so now I'm just looking at three things. There's only three. Those three things are the topography. And so how does the energy of the earth work? How does the momentum fit? Where does the house want to go? Where does the site want to accept a house? And that's the first thing. Where are the views that I want to capture? And there's two kinds of views. There's views I want to capture and there's views I want to hide. Yep. There's always some ugly house or some shit somewhere that you don't want to see. And so I have to know what that is and then I have to be able to see what I want to see. Um, and then the third part is probably the most important and it's where is the light source? So where's the sun? 
the sun is coming across this piece of property the same way that sun has been coming across that piece of property for the last 6,000 years. It's just coming across. It's coming across. It, it's where's east, where's west? What does the sun do? And I know, you know, it's going to be lower in the wintertime and higher in the summertime. I get that. But where is my light source? Because in, in part of my work, I'm trying to get light inside that box. And I have to know where the site, where the light is so that I can carefully arrange the box and carefully arrange the holes in the box to let the light in at the right times of day and in the right ways. Um, I believe that this is my firm belief. And I say this in my book, if you will listen to the site, the house will design itself. It will literally just lay itself out. I mean, it's like, okay, Here's the view. I know I want to have probably the living room right here. I want the kitchen to be over here. I want to get morning light in the kitchen. So I'm going to put the kitchen kind of swinging over here. The driveway is coming from this way. The topography shows me this. So, so the garage makes sense to be over here. Wherever the garage goes, the kitchen needs to be somewhere close by. So, I mean, it's just like bam, 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 bam. And I, and I swear, I just sit there with the people on the site plan and I just draw the house out and I tell them why I'm drawing what I'm drawing. And I design the whole house in front of them yep. in about a day and a half. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's fun, you know, to see, it's very exciting to see a house get born. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and it's exciting for them. And I don't, I don't have problems where people say, Jeff, why did you put the kitchen over here? Cause they were sitting right next to me when I put the kitchen there. And I told them why the kitchen went there. And they and can so, understand why it went there. They, it's very straightforward. It, actually. It's, it's real. Science, what, what we're doing here, you know, it's not yeah. rocket science. And um, I think architects sometimes try to make it rocket science. So maybe they feel more important or they can intimidate people, but it's not really that complicated. But at the end of the day, that's because you stay as the artist. What's that? You're, you're being the artist. You're listening to the land. The land's speaking to you. They're speaking to you. You're listening on both sides of this. So you're, yeah. you're, and then you are in your artistic rather than your, uh, whilst yeah. you put it into a, into a, uh, an organized, you know, like you said, I, I need to know where I organize these boxes and where the light's going to come into them. Um, you're being the artist of those things with a background of knowledge of size, scale, um, what's happening, yeah. but you're totally being, it's, it, it's like picking up the guitar. It, it, yeah. it drives it from that point. It's like, let me see. Where's that little house I did? Here's this house I'm working on. This is a really, I mean, this is different because this is on acreage. Everybody doesn't have 500 acres for their house. This guy happens to have 500 acres. Um, <laughs> That's um, a so this is the, so this is the little drawing that I did with, gotcha. with, with the guy you know, yep. um, you know, the, on the site, you know, here yep. you go. Here's how I could lay itself out. And then right after I did that, because I'm thinking three-dimensionally when I'm laying that thing out, um, and I've done it a few times, I do okay. that, you know, while wow. we ate, while we ate sandwiches, like a picnic sandwich, you know, and drank sweet tea. Um, and so from these two drawings, then, you know, I just, you know, go from there and then you just, you're just extrapolating it out. But the idea, you, you did the idea in a few hours, you know, well, but that's, 
that's the genius. That's, that's the part that um, I, I often ask, you know, with people about their, you know, their fee structure and I'll go, so, so what, what, what's your fee structure? If you had to break it down, not into percentages or anything, but if you had to break it down, what's the most valuable part of what you do? And most architects make it at the end game on project management. And I'm going, but hold on, the idea was worth the money. And the idea is worth the money. So if you're not getting front if, if the front end, then why the hell are you doing it? Because you could train monkeys to do the back end. Yeah. The genius, all the IP is in this, is in what you can develop and how you can understand and see. Um, and so many people are so, which is maybe a blessing in some ways, but otherwise, there's so many people are just caught with wanting to get their design out so badly that they don't honor it. They don't honor the fact that that's their genius and that's where the real thing happens. That's where the, the meeting of everything, that's the melting pot, you know, it, it's. When you say genius, you, you've said this word a, a bunch of times. Um, does it have different meanings to you or is it basically a way of saying that I, I'm, what I'm getting at, it seems like when you say it is, when you say genius, you mean the idea or the core of the, of something. Is that how you mean when you say yeah, genius? Yeah, it's, I, I, I think of genius as this way. So you just described a process to me where, you know, you get on that land and then there's, there's the things that you know to look for and understand, but you're doing that you're doing that without having to know that those are broken down. You only need to break them down to explain them. That's, right. that's, that's a gift. That's a natural ability to read it. It's intuition. It's yeah. intuition. Yeah. And for you to sit there and let the house rise out of the ground around you, and you might move a little this way or move a little this way, and you're looking at it, for you to do that is a gift again. Mm to be able to actually then conceptualize that down onto a piece of paper in some sense of scale is, is a process. It's, it, it means that you've got an, a, a talent, but you could also learn to do that. And in fact, you did learn to do that. Not so much maybe the breaking it into the floor planning piece, but when you started to think in the three dimension, now all of a sudden you, you wipe out uh, given architects and stuff should be able to do this in, intuitively. You wipe out all those other people that have no hope of doing that. They've, it's not even, they don't even think in pictures. They don't even think that way. And you bring it alive for them. So your genius is that, that journey of being able to just take it and not, not lose the journey. Don't drop off the journey. It's, I could take you to any block of land anywhere in the world and give you probably less than, I could probably give you half an hour and you could tell me what's gonna happen there. Now, you might go, I need to do a bit of research on the nuances of the climate here or something, but yeah. intrinsically, you, you will let the land speak. Right. And there might be things you don't know or things you do know, but intrinsically, your genius is, is to be able to drop into the artist's space and mm -hmm. deliver something that, uh, there's there's probably a, a, a not a lot of people there's there's people that can do it but there's people that can do it manually or um 
functionally and then there's people that can do it intuitively and you're totally doing it in the intuitive um and then you so that you can explain it you put the boxes around it so that other people can come on your journey <laughs> yeah that's that's interesting the way you explain that yeah i i think i think that's um a good description I, I, I could take you to a site that like I'm going to go to this afternoon here. I've got a site visit and um, it's a, a, an acreage piece of land. And if we were to walk on there together and I said nothing, but Jeff, what do you see, man? You'd be looking around. You'd be listening. You'd be hearing birds. See where the sun is. Yeah. You'd be looking for where that sun's going to come from. You'd be looking at the topography and going, what's the rainfall here, Adrian? And I go, oh, well, you know, like uh, when it does, it doesn't rain much, but when it rains, it pours, man. It, it's coming down a hundred mil at a time. You go, hmm, okay. I put the house there. We're going to have a flood in the back. So <laughs> yeah, you, you would, you would just naturally, I can tell this just from talking to you. I mean, I've, I've been speaking to you for half an hour or something. I go, I can see it just rolling out. It would be, it'd be joyful. It'd be joyful. So the, the intuitive part, I think is a part that, um, that we miss, um, because it's, um, it's a little mysterious and it's, uh, it's probably hard to define, but, um, it is like a switch and yeah. it is something that once you find it, you can turn it on Yeah. Um, when, when you, when you need to. And I did, it was interesting because I did my thesis um, in at Auburn university on the intuitive and, and my whole, um, you know, studies for that year was about the intuition of um, architects and designers and artists and um, it was hard in many cases to find much data you know yeah. about it. but I thought this was fascinating the same person who said a house is a machine for living also said that your intuitive sense is your most powerful. Le Corbusier. Really? really? Corbusier said that. Wow. And so I thought, holy crap, here's a guy who invented Le Modulor. Yeah. And um, I think of as, you know, being one of the major proponents and tenets of modernism. Yeah. Think of as, um, you know, not loosey goosey exactly not touchy-feely yeah and yet this man is telling me that the intuitive aspects of our being and those sensibilities are the most powerful and the most important in knowing how to design and so i thought that was that was absolutely fascinating I, I i am with you like because when you were saying it i'm going really you said the machine is the house is a machine that you live in i'm going and and now that you tell me who it is i can see that in his work as well yeah. It, yeah. it's very it's very segmented mm -hmm. to being a, a, a machine as such 
it is, but the intuition of the space. When you look at so many things he did, he, he played with color yeah. um, so much. He always had big swatches of color. And he says this when even, even when he's speaking, one of the next things he said about the intuitive was that color for him was, a, was one of the big keys. And so he said, you sit down and you take your pastels and your pencils and you, you know, you just start with um, something that's very human. And for him, it had a lot to do with color. Um, I, I don't know what that was about. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have that, um, that same way of, of seeing things, but, um, but you can definitely see that in his work. And then so many, in some great examples of, of his work at Ross Shop and um, some other places that, you know, it was very, there was something very organic, you know, yeah. about, about how he approached things. So, so he, he wasn't a robot because if he, if he really was, he wouldn't have had the variety. And so there was this, you know, something else going on. And, and there was some other quotes by um, Frank Lloyd Wright um, about um, being intuitive. And he would say things like, um, if you'll approach the world with an open hand instead of a clenched fist, all kinds of opportunities will open up. To you. Will fill up into that hand. Yeah. And um, and he, but he he talked about uh, the intuitive as well. But um, I think I, just, I think I think we just miss it. I, I think it's something that's probably hard to. How would you begin to coax that out of somebody? Like if you were a professor at university and you wanted to teach these kids how to be more intuitive, how would you do it? I don't know. I mean, I, I really I don't know how you would get at that but but i'm not a professor um it's an interesting thing though isn't it because how do you you can't teach intuition but you can probably develop intuition you can develop it yes yeah you can develop it and and i really believe that we all have it um in in different in different forms and maybe in different in different ways but, yeah um, i think i think really it's the heart of the artist the intuitive is I need to express something. Something is inside me that really is dying. It needs to get out. It needs to get out. And um, it's going to come out. Like, and, but how do I, that, that desire and, and that um, conversation, I guess, that you have with yourself or with your palette or with your brush or with your pencil and, and or with your guitar, even with the strings, that, with the, that is yeah, absolutely intuitive. You know, there's tons of songs I can play on my guitar, but my most fun experiences with my guitar are when maybe I've had just enough bourbon or whatever. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm just creating, I'm just making stuff up and I'm like, Holy crap, what was that? And then I go back and I've learned some new riff or, or whatever. But you know, you, you say maybe it's enough bourbon and, and maybe it's just, um, it gets you out of your own way. Mm -hmm. it, gets, yeah, it, it, it allows you to step into another space because you get to switch off beta thinking and, and fall into alpha thinking. And then, you know, time stands still and well, everything I, flows. I'm Irish. So I always say that creativity is, 80% alcohol and, um, <laughs> and the, and the other 20% is caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a really cool cartoon the other day where 
Somebody said, coffee, you're out. Alcohol, get in. <laughs> get in. <laughs> I'm done with you. I'm starting with you. I'm done with uh, coffee. I'm moving on to alcohol. Um, Einstein said, and my dad is a, a, a fine artist. Um, he paints uh, watercolors. He's 91 now. Um, wow. And he, um, he used to have on his desk uh, years ago, and he worked in ad agencies and stuff, um, he had on his desk a, a, a picture of Einstein and just a little piece, and it said, imagination is far greater than knowledge. And I remember that from being That's right. just a little kid and, and him explaining to me that your imagination is what creates everything that goes before you. Um, exactly. And the, probably the piece that he, he never got the greater picture of and in, in, in maybe part of his lifetime, but in that part of his lifetime was that what you focus on is what you get, what you, um, the, the universe conspires to give you what you want. You know, you, you said before about your clients and um, I'm sure that you don't end up with hundreds that you have to turn away because they don't fit into the thing. You end up with a, a constant stream of the right people. And it's because it's what you focus on is what you get. And yeah. th there's clear understanding, not for them, but for you. And that only attracts more of what you need or want. Um, yeah. um, somebody said this, and, and I really have found it to be true to, to your point um, that like energy attracts like energy. Yeah. And, um, and everything except for magnets, apparently. Yeah, that's, um, they, re they repel. True. <laughs> but in people, I think what you put out there over your lifetime, you know, and I've been very, very fortunate to have some great opportunities in my career and um, that, that just a lot of things kind of went the right way. But um, over over your lifetime, you know, you you create your um oeuvre right like yeah. you take this body of work and and here it is and this is kind of more or less what you're about and the people that that resonates with end up becoming your you know your next clients and um and it is a it is a neat thing that of course and when i was younger as a younger architect you know i didn't have that um body of work to, mm -hmm. to show so you know, I, I got what projects I got and I, I did the best that I could with them. Um, but at this point it is more like you, you say, and then um, I feel like most people that, that call, um, they already get it and they already want it. And it's, I don't have to talk them into something. Yeah. I don't have to yeah. try to convince them of my values because those things are already their values. Yeah. I totally get that. Totally get that. It is a wonderful, it, um, blessing attraction strategy yeah <laughs> just be just be real and just be yeah, yeah. you do you yeah you do yeah so and everybody else is taken just be you and you know work with that you as good as you can you know tell me so, a, tell me about your book um my book um came out um september of 2018 so it's almost two years in a few months, it'll be two years. Um, and, um, you know, it was a sort of a labor of love. You know, I, I, I got into 
the book process and I, and I was learning, you know, there's, it's a different world. The book world is, um, is really different. I had some wonderful people to help me through that, you know, process and, um, talk to different publishers and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And, you know, you have to put together, you know, a bunch of hopefully pretty compelling images, you know, sure. to share. um, and, and I had a lot of ideas. I had, I had years before started blogging, um, back in the downturn, 06, 07, 08, I didn't sure. have anything to do. And so I said, well, I'm going to write, start writing a blog. And, um, I started writing and I realized I really like writing. I've always loved poetry and I've, I've always loved words. I think I got that from my dad. He, he loves poetry and words. And, um, so that's back to the artist. I started writing and, and I realized, you know, I can express myself in other ways, not always with a drawing or, or with a building. And, and so um, I really enjoyed it. And I, as I started writing more and more, I thought that's, that's, that's something I really believe. Like, um, you know, that could be a book or it could be a part of a book. Yeah. And so um, anyway, so it kind of, it kind of went that way. And um, I, um, I was determined to write the book. Like this was a bad idea. Um, <laughs> but it started out as a good idea. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great idea. It's in my heart, you know, to want to express and to want to express yourself in your own voice yes. and not have someone else, you know, sort of fix up all your rough edges and make them all, you know, perfect, but that you would just somehow be able to something about yourself would be revealed. Um, I wanted to do that, um, but I'm not a writer. You know, I can design a house in a couple of days maybe, but, yep. you know, to write a chapter of a book would take me, you know, months. And so it took me four years to write wow. the book. Wow. Okay. Work with an editor and it was, <clears throat> you know, they would come back with this stuff. And I was like, I don't even know what these words mean. Like I, I can't somebody quote me, you know, and say, well, you said this. And I'm like, shit, I don't even know what that word means. So like, we can't change it that much. It has to stay somehow in this voice that whatever it happened anyway. But, um, it, so it was a, it was an interesting process. It was a very different process for me. Um, I learned a lot about, I do so many things that are just intuitive, you know, like mm -hmm. we talked about before and, and, and they're artistic and, you know, but, but now I had to be able to describe those things in words and actually express why I believed that that's the way a house ought to be or why I believed so powerfully about this roof line or whatever it was. Yeah. What value it put against it. You had to. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then how do you say that in a way that hopefully is also compelling, right? Yeah. Somebody could read and think, well, that's kind of cool. You know, maybe. Yeah, compelling and inspiring. You hope. Yeah. You, know, you do want to inspire people. You, you do. You, you are after that. Inspiration is the creative fuel that all artists need. Yes. So I want to be inspired and I want to inspire other people, you know. So inspiration is such a good word. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, I, um, I'm dyslexic. Normally I wear glasses that are blue. These are my normal glasses, but they're no good for podcasts because you can't see eyes. So I wear these ones for this. Um, but with that, I, I, I'm not a great writer by any means. And I often, um, will get to that point where I, I can articulate something but then to go and put that into a, into writing 
is mm. like, oh no. <laughs> oh. And probably because of the dyslexia, I have to. Um, yeah, well, it's a great gift. It is the most beautiful gift for a couple of reasons. One is, is it means I don't have to do shit I don't want to do. That's <laughs> that's the number one gift. The number, yeah, the number two gift with it is, is um, I get the value it brings in how I see the world. Yeah. And as a problem solver and as these kind of things, I get all that. It, it, it's, um, it's incredibly powerful as a, if it was not, not necessarily at all, it's just the view of the world I have. Um, and it, amount, it means that I can not do stuff that other people can't do, but I, I can hone in on certain parts yeah. of, my, of my being able to do things. Um, and, of, and get rid of the other shit. Yeah. I think of that as almost being visually ambidextrous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, you can go this way, left to right or right to left. It's, it's yeah. all the same. You know? it, it, it also, um, it's very interesting in the way it lets you approach things. Not that I know any different, but when, if I'm sitting in a room with, you know, um, say 10 other people, and <clears throat> sorry, and we're problem solving. I might not be the first one to talk. I might not be, you know, like I might not talk for a long time. <laughs> That's usually wise. Yeah. And then when I do, for some reason, it comes from a place that um, maybe off the back of somebody else's thing, but it, uh, or, or it might be just totally fresh. But when I do, it, it, it takes people from one point to another point in, in a leap. And um, I always, again, it's part of that gift thing or that genius thing where for me, I'm only doing what I do. I, it's no different for me. Uh, it, it's, I'm just doing what I do. And then, but the leap that they go on is the piece that they notice. And uh, I, I, for many years, I um, worked in corporate and, and in the clothing industry. And I would be called into board of directors meetings, you know, like all sorts of stuff based on just that I see things differently. Mm -hmm. And it, it took me into some of the most amazing places and situations in the world um, where I'd be dragged along to see them and, uh, or to meet with people. And uh, yeah, just very interesting. I, a little story with that one time uh, I was in Hong Kong and I was there for a, a meeting and in the morning, there were two other guys going to the meeting, our CEO and the guy who was general manager of the international division of the company. And um, I was design director. And so I rock up and in the morning, uh, they're like, hey, you make sure you're on time to the office. And I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. I'll be there. And um, I get there and these guys, these two <coughs> are in suits with ties. And I'm like, what the fuck? What's going on here? I am dressed casually, but not that standard, not, not, the, not their standard. And they looked at me and I went, so you guys have overshot the dress code, huh? 
(laughs) (laughs) And they're like, fucking designer. And Ron said to me, have you got a jacket? And I went, "Uh, yeah, I can grab one at the hotel. He's like, well, get your ass back there. Get the jacket. He's the CEO. Get your ass back there. Get the jacket. And, um, you know, but otherwise you're fine. Like, but move it, man. And so I race back to the hotel, grab a jacket, come back. I don't change anything else. And um, we, we go, we jump in a cab and we, we drive into town a little bit further. We're in town. Hong Kong is all town, but we, we're on the island and we drive in a little bit. And uh, we pull up outside the um, Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. And uh, uh, do you know the architecture of it? It's all built with the skeletal architecture on the outside of it. Amazing building. And we go up to the door and Ron goes up first and he says uh, to some guy that's a, a doorman kind of thing at the bank, he says, this is it. We, we get ushered. At this point, we get ushered down a hallway, all glass and stuff, beautiful. And we go past a bank of lifts and then we keep going and then we go to another lift and we get in this one lift and this takes us up the building and our meeting was in the chairman's boardroom of the, so just the chairman's one of the Hong Kong Shanghai bank with the chairman. And I'm going, you didn't know what you're meeting about. I I didn't know what we were meeting about, but I, I, I had never put the weight on it that those guys actually, they'd said we're meeting at the bank. I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. You know, (laughs) And we meet there with uh, about six other people. And at some point they're like, Adrian, can you do that presentation for us now? And I'm, si- I'm sitting there and I went, yeah, yeah, sure. No problem like this. And I'm thinking, no problem. This is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, just things like that, like that, to just be in a space like that. And at that level of uh, people in the room, and um, just fascinating. And I think that often it was the dyslexia that uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe just that difference in the ability to think. And I, yeah. like I, in business wise, I have a, a very commercial thinking brain. And in design wise, I, I can meld that together. So I can think very commercially as well as very um, artistically at the one point in time. So mm. you, you say to me something about something and I'm going, there's a monetization of that. If you did mm-hmm. this and this and this, then this would mean that you'd end up with a product. If you had a product, then what would you sell it for and who would your target audience be? It just, it just happens in my brain. I, I, I don't turn it off. It just, but I do the same as you, like with the, the switch on switch off, like, um, I love that when you said, you know, you go to, you learn to, you learn to turn on this um, intuition. You learn mm. to, um, and, and the people who don't um, learn to turn it on have to wait for the moment. Mm-hmm. And they miss the opportunities because they're waiting for the right moment. The people who um, can't turn it off never get to actually get the thing done. Mm-hmm. they get stuck just in the next piece of it, the next piece of it. Yeah. Whereas you go, mm-hmm. I can turn this on. I can get this out. I can download all this into me. 
I can get that. I can start producing my conceptuals. I can, my schematics and stuff, and I can start working that through. And, and you've got a beautiful uh, ability to sketch. So, uh, uh, you know, A, natural, but B, taught. And to conceptualize like that. And then so it, it makes it very quick to be able to pull all that forward and create something. And that's your genius, clearly. And there's a sales genius in you somewhere as well that says, I'm doing this. This is what it's got a value of. This is what it's going to take. Um, you know, have they, what was it? The correct change. Can, <laughs> can they, have they got the correct change to make it work? That's, yeah. the, that's the other part. And then the, I love the, the transition to the book because the book is taking all the things that you do intuitively and then trying to put them into process that can inspire and um, build another human being. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's, a, that's a real give as well, if anything else. It's, a, it's, it's more than just a book. It, it, it's, a, again, the whole thing of a journey. It, it allows somebody else to take a step in the journey. It does. It, it really does. Um, I, I didn't think I was going to do another book and now I think maybe I will. <laughs> uh, I think well, I'll do it differently. Maybe than that I did it the first time. I'm damn sure not going to try to write the whole thing again. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thought, thought as well, isn't it? Jeff, that was absolutely mind blowing. I've got a page of scribble notes. Um, uh, as awesome. always. Um, but look, I took out so many really, really cool things and I love your thinking. I, your connection Thanks. with the land and your connection with the people. And there was this one key thing that you said, which was um, you're not looking for uh, the projects, you're looking for the right people. That's it. And I think that that is, embodies your work and it certainly embodies who you are. And when those two right people come together, this thing is just a match made in heaven. It That's just, when the magic happens, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like bourbon and coffee and, and the guitar, you know? <laughs> All well up in one. Absolutely. So thank but you a little, again. A little southern drawl, maybe. Yeah, a little southern drawl, yeah. So, what accent? I don't have one. You don't have no, one. No. <laughs> No, so I would really like to thank you and I want to pick this conversation up again in the future um, and maybe we'll get to see some of your projects in that conversation. That would be really cool. I haven't done anything in um, Australia or New Zealand yet, so I need to head over the, your, your way. When they let us fly again, let's make a plan. Let's make <laughs> a plan. Yeah, without a doubt because... Um, I could see some of your architecture nestling in uh, Victoria or Tasmania um, beautifully, uh, certainly um, down in Adelaide even. And then in New Zealand, yeah, without a doubt, like um, in the southern, southern island of New Zealand, uh, down around Wanaka and places like that, your aesthetic is built for the place. Man, uh, what amazing scenery and topography and mountains and yeah just uh I, whenever i walk onto a place like that i just say jeff don't screw this up <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that's always something that we all do isn't it like we go this is a big opportunity <laughs> don't put blow the, it <laughs> put the weight yeah put the weight behind it <laughs>
Hi, this is Richard Petrie from the Architect Marketing Institute, and this is Richard's Magic Arrows. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. So you want to work on great projects. The problem is you've got to win those projects, and to win the projects, you've got to sell your services. And for a lot of designers and architects, the word sales or salesperson is something which sends a cold shiver down the back of your neck. It's the last thing you want to be seen as. I was watching an episode of Million Dollar Beach House on Netflix recently, and it was about these real estate agents selling 30, 40, $50 million homes in the Hamptons just out of New York. And one of the developers who's selling his $30 million home is speaking to Peggy, who's a realtor. And he says to Peggy, I've got every agent on the island wanting to sell my home because there's a big commission on it. Why should I hire you? And Peggy, being a salesperson, immediately launches into a whole rambling of why he should hire her. And she was going to work harder. She had a better network than anyone else. She was going to think outside the box. And you could see the developer unconvinced. He says to Peggy, yeah, I'll think about it and I'll come back to you. Now, how could... Peggy have done it or how could a pro do it and let's forget about re real estate because we're not selling real estate what we're doing is looking to win great design projects I'm going to suggest a different way for you and it's very simple but it starts by having the right mindset so I'm going to give you the words but you've got to ingrain these words into your belief system and into the way you think it's pretty simple how I would have responded would have been listen in all honesty I don't know if I'm the right person for you you need to make sure I'm right for you, and I'd like to find out what you're looking for. And I also need to make sure that you're right for me. So I've got a few questions for you too. Now just think about that. What's just happened in that situation compared to the way a salesperson or a piggy handled it is you've immediately established yourself that you've got standards, that you won't take on just any job or any project that comes along, and that you're not a needy salesperson. Now, this is really attractive. What it also does is flip the power balance a little bit. It makes it a little more even. Instead of the seller having all the power and the, the salesperson having no power, by saying we both need to interview each other kind of puts both of you on an even keel because you both need to convince each other that you're right for the job. And if either one of us doesn't think it's right, then we both should move on and find someone who is. So have a think about that. Not only the words, you know, I'm not sure if I am right for you, you need to make sure I'm right for you. So you've probably got some questions for me. But I've also got to make sure you're right for me. So I've got some questions for you. So why don't we ask each other a few questions. Now think about words or a script like that. But also think about the mindset and the mentality behind it. Because I think it takes you away from being a salesperson and into being a professional. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.